Well, good morning, Rick. So glad to be back at the podcast after a few weeks off and looking forward to launching this series and uh, and getting back to our weekly podcasts. Yeah, me too. I'm ready to get back into the uh, regular recording schedule and uh, talking about what uh, is going on here at Autumn Ridge and our brand new message series. I've been looking forward to this mm-hmm. uh, for a while, and I, uh, I hope people are glad that we're back. I think it's going to be an incredible series, a wonderful time to be in the Word, but also rich with application. But how much more wonderful that we've kicked off a new round of small groups, and this is a series that we're studying together in our small group ministry as well. And uh, and I just have to say, this is one of, I think, the most exciting small group season we have ever had. We've got record numbers of people that have gotten in a group for this series. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's really neat to see the enthusiasm and the momentum that's building, uh, people getting together uh, in smaller groups, building relationships, building uh, really that good kind of community that everybody really longs for. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that we're a church that is providing opportunities for that. And if there's anybody listening and they're, they've kind of been on the fence and they haven't really checked out a small group, check check out a small group, join, join one, you know, I'm like my small group is, is still open. Heather and I are trying to lead a small group for, uh, young adults. There are other small groups that are available. So if you're kind of thinking, I don't know if I want to do it, it, go check it out one time mm-hmm. and see what everybody else is, uh, so excited about. Absolutely. You know, and you mentioned small groups are great for community, but, mm-hmm. but there's also a wonderful benefit to studying scripture with other people. I mean, we, I think particularly in the American church, we've gotten this habit of maybe having an individual quiet time or spending time reading your Bible alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is so much richness and even intent and purpose in studying the Bible with other people. Well, you know, Svea, you're talking about something that there's always stuff like on the cutting room floor that didn't make it into into the sermon. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about, but I just did not have time to talk about is this, that God's word was always intended uh, to be received, studied, taught, and applied in community and individually. Mm -hmm. And the pace of our discipleship, hear me clearly on this one, the pace of our discipleship is never going uh, to go faster than our ability to do both of those things. Mm -hmm. And so we're, you know, I said it this weekend, uh, there's uh, every continent except Antarctica is represented uh, in our congregation every every weekend. And folks folks in in our church family who are from uh, countries and cultures that are far more community oriented, probably just naturally do the communal aspect of uh, of worship and God's word really, really well. Uh, and even folks who are from Western, modern, more individualized cultures, even if you grew up going to church, we're really calibrated by our culture and a lot of our life experiences to really focus on the individual aspect. Mm-hmm. And that's not wrong. We need that too, but we need both the individual aspect and the communal aspect. Last night in, in our group and my small group that we, we were talking and then I just love hearing questions that people ask, yeah. you know, like somebody asks, Hey, let's just be, can I understand like, what is a church? <laughs> and I thought, well, well, that's great because, well, there's, we talked about that a, a little bit. There's, there's not a page you can turn to in the New Testament, or there's not a line mm-hmm. or verse that you can quote that says, this is a church. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to find some people that give a different, uh, nuanced definitions, but we know this. The church is the bride of Christ. Okay. Uh, maybe that doesn't feel quite as clear yet. The church is the body. Okay. That's super helpful, but maybe it doesn't feel quite as clear yet. 
The church is a collection of people who are uh, who have given their allegiance to Jesus. All right, we're getting closer, but uh, just because I'm in a room of other Christians, that doesn't mean we're a church, even though we've all given our allegiance to Jesus. Yep. So it's a collection of people who've given their allegiance to Jesus, and they've also given their allegiance to each other. Mm. And they're united under the teaching of God's word. They practice things like communion together. They would observe baptism together. And these are the people that they would say, these are my people. These are the people that I'm united with. This is my family of fellow fellow believers. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that definition uh, would pass in every environment, but I, I think that's a helpful way to think about it. And so we were talking about this difficult to receive expression of love from Jesus. Mm-hmm. If you remain as an unloving church, I'm going to take away your lampstand or I'm going to disband or remove your church. And I don't even totally know what that looks like. Uh Like, I don't know what's on the other side of that. I don't think that Jesus is going to give up on the gospel movement in that city of Ephesus. But that collection, that organization of, of people who are supposed to be representing Jesus, but they're so unloving that they're pushing people away from Jesus, that's going to go away. Yeah, that's a big deal. It is, yeah. So let's. Back I might have up. jumped ahead yeah, I was a little say, bit. Let's on back you. up just a little bit because yeah. the uh, the title for this series, "Dear Church," yeah. is kind of a fun play on words. It both refers to the theme of this series. This is a series looking at Jesus's seven letters to seven actual churches in Asia Minor. Yeah, in they. Yeah. The first century, and so that's modern day Turkey. I mean, you could go to all of these. All of these sites. Not all of those cities necessarily exist now. Some of them still do, but you can go to all the sites, yeah. So we're getting to to read what it is that he had to say to these churches. Mm-hmm. But it's also uh, the dear aspect of this. These are churches that were dear to, to Jesus, oh, and, yeah. as all churches are. And I appreciated in the message that you brought out that because the church is the bride of Christ, mm. as he said a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus isn't dispassionate in the way that he's speaking no, to these churches. No, and he gives wonderful commendations, but sometimes some harsh things to say. And we shouldn't read that in yeah. a Jesus is cranky <laughs> or yeah. anything like that. But he loves the church so much That's that right. he wouldn't shy away from saying what they need to hear. That's right. So um, right at the beginning, we're told, that Jesus is walking among the seven lampstands. He's uh, lampstands represents church in, in Revelation two and three. He's walking among the churches. He's not distant. He's not removed. He's mm-hmm. not aloof. He's close. Yeah. He's intimate. He's personal, and everything that he says is an expression of love. Nothing that Jesus has to say to any of these churches, even the hard things. So five out of the five out of the seven churches, he has to tell them there's something that I'm holding against you right now. Um, but even when he does that, that is an expression of love. It's mm-hmm. not withholding of love. Mm-hmm. And it is it is the most loving. So we, we started off looking at the church at, at Ephesus. The most loving thing that Jesus could do is say, listen, I'm not going to allow you to continue in an unloving way. It's not good for you. It's not good for others. And it violates love for me. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to, because I love you and because I love others and because I love my own glory, I'm not going to allow, mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow that. To, to continue. So it's super important. It's incredibly important that we understand all of these are an expression of love, never withholding of love. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important filter to have as we're reading through each of these letters mm-hmm. to see Jesus's heart for each individual church. Yeah, and you, you can, mentioned go ahead. the the beauty, this image of him walking among the lampstands, lampstands meaning the church, yeah. the, of walking among these churches, just being intimately mm-hmm. aware of what's going on. Um, again, he's not this distant, he's gone back to heaven and we never hear from him again, but that's we right. should recognize this incredible reality of Jesus being present with us in our church. And then he also talks about holding the seven stars in his right hands and stars representing the angels or another same word for that being the messengers of these churches. Just talk for a minute, just riff on that idea that Jesus is holding the, the messengers of each of these churches in his right hand. So biblical scholars are not united. They, they, they disagree on, well, who is the angel of, of each church? Is it like a guardian angel of the church? Is it, is it messengers who are delivering this particular letter to, to the church? Is it, is it messengers who came to, to John from these churches? Um, is it the lead pastor of the church or is it kind of the lead point person who's responsible for teaching and delivering God's message, uh, to, to the church? There are good reasons um, that people believe all of those things. Some of them have stronger cases than others. Uh, I'll share with you what I think it is, and I could be wrong, but I'll share with you what I think it is. I don't believe, I don't believe that it's like a heavenly being, like a heavenly angel. And the reason why, even though there's about 60 references to angels, um, in the book of Revelation and in every other, every other instance, it would be a heavenly being. This is, this would be different. Why do I say that? So I just can't imagine John physically writing a letter that's going to be hand delivered and it's sent to a mm-hmm. heavenly angel. Mm-hmm. That I that doesn't seem to be the best explanation. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we're doing, um, whenever we're studying the meaning, we're doing interpretation. It's the same thing in science. It's the same thing when you study history. It's the same thing when you study just about anything. You're looking for the best explanation, and the best explanation isn't the one that can account for most of the facts. The best explanation is the one that can account for all the facts, data, and evidence. Mm -hmm. And the explanation that I think accounts for all of that is that it's most likely meaning the lead pastor or the the lead kind of point person who's responsible for teaching and shepherding uh, each each local church. And I could be wrong on that. Um, I... But seeing it that way has given me tremendous encouragement mm-hmm. because I'm reading that and I and it's like Jesus is saying, Rick, I've got you in my hand too. Mm-hmm. And there are times that there there are times that being a pastor comes with the highest highs. And there are times just like in, in many other things that, that there's some low points and that's difficult. And there are times that you why I tell young guys in ministry, young 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 men and women in ministry is this. There's something about ministry that will cause you to come face to face with every insecurity that you have, mm, yeah. because you're going to learn in this that everything about it is beyond you. Mm. Um, you you're never going to be smart enough. You're never going to be talented enough. You're never going to know enough. You're never going to have charisma enough. You're never going to you're never going to have the emotional well that's deep enough to give people what they need. They need Jesus, and you get the joy of joining and participating in that yeah but ultimately let's see it's him it's not you and so and so that that realization comes out and it and so sometimes it could just sometimes it could be a rocky road and to know that jesus is holding 
pastors and shepherds in his hand. Yeah. That he is so intimate and personal and aware and nurturing and shepherding of us to me um, is the deepest and most powerful kind of encouragement. Yeah. And so anybody who is trying to lead and serve others, I think you should remember that. Um, I think every church should remember that. He is with us and he is for us. And even if there is a message that's hard for us to receive, he is just as much for us as if he had nothing to say that was hard to receive. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That's beautiful. Did I stumble over that? No, or? no, okay. I was right there with you. That All was right. beautiful. Um, this is a message for us to receive originally given to real churches. It's not just a theoretical vision kind of thing, but these were actual places. That's right. That's right. And uh, I like the way that you described this as kind of like being a first century group text. Yeah, (laughs) Because the way this worked, John recorded the vision as directed Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. Jesus. And then this letter was circulated between these seven Mm -hmm. churches. Uh, We received some wonderful questions. Really good questions. Someone who uh, enjoyed a, a good small group discussion on Sunday night and took us up on the offer that still stands every week. If anyone has questions that they would like us to address, send your questions to podcast at autumnridge.church. And that's what he did. Um, He was asking just initially some baseline questions about the format of this book in in Revelation and how it works. Um, Do you think you talked about this letter being circulated to to the churches? And he was asking, is that a matter of just economics, that it was just too expensive to write multiple copies of letters so that they each got their own individual copy? Um, What are your thoughts on, on the purpose of this being a circular letter. Yeah, and and I'm happy to share my 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 thoughts on that. But first, let's recognize that question has keen insight. That writing a letter uh, in the first century uh, was expensive, mm-hmm. and not many people knew how to read. But not everybody had acquired the skill to write. Um, and so uh, you had to find somebody who knew how to do that. You had to be able to get papyrus. You had to be able to get the materials. It's not as easy as it is for us today. I think it's something that, that we that we take for granted. So it would be right that it was it was expensive. I think the average letter length in um, in the first century was somewhere around 80 words or a little less. And so the typical letter was just a bit longer than your average tweet. So um, yeah, there's there's a, there's expense involved. But I don't think Jesus is being purely a pragmatist. While there is expense involved, and it's certainly easier to send one letter instead of multiple letters, and the way that that perhaps would work is that the letter would go to one church and it'd be read, and then it would be delivered to the next church, and everybody's sharing one letter. But we have thousands and thousands of uh, manuscripts um, of the New Testament uh, from the ancient world, and then we have thousands more fragments. And the reason that we have that is because they were able to copy letters and send them, and, and send them around and share them among churches. And so, like the letter to the Ephesians was sent to the collection of Ephesian house churches in mm-hmm. the city of Ephesus, but that was copied over and over and over again and shared with churches all over the yeah, known likely world. these same seven churches That's right. also received that oh, letter. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. abs- absolutely. And so the church, Jesus had always had a way to fund his ministry, and there's a group of people with him, largely wealthy women who who funded the ministry. Um, churches always had a way to to fund. Um, to to fund the spread of what the apostles were were writing. So I don't think looking at it and saying, well, it's just cheaper and easier to send one letter that's circulating around than sending multiple is the reason why. While that is that's a, that's a 
totally understandable and valid viewpoint. I think that what it does is it makes Jesus a pragmatist and it misses the historical facts that they were great at copying letters and mm-hmm. sending them around. Another kind of historical nerd out factor on that is early pastors and church leaders, sometimes called church fathers, uh, wrote letters to each other. We have copies of those letters. Uh, those letters quoted, if you if you just, you could com- combine those letters and reconstruct the entire New Testament, all except for like 11 verses, just from the letters that church fathers wrote to each other. So there was there was real prolific letter writing mm-hmm. in the uh, in in the in the first in the first century. So I I don't think that it was an obstacle uh, too great uh, to be able to send out seven letters if that's what Jesus wanted. But mm-hmm. he sent one, and I think the main reason was that there's tremendous value in them all hearing what he has to say mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah, it definitely brings more color to the whole picture. Sure. If you've seen not just what does he have to say yeah. to one specific church, but how is he evaluating and appreciating mm-hmm. and rebuking a number of churches. That's There's right. great things to be learned from that for them in their original context, as well as for us today. Um, another question mm-hmm. that he asks in that is, is it known who actually delivered the letters? We know this was written down by John, but... Uh, did no, yeah. no, no, we, we don't. Sometimes in the New Testament, we do know. Like, uh, it, we know that Phoebe delivered the letter of Romans to, to the Roman church. We don't know who delivered, mm-hmm. who, who, is the, who are the individuals responsible for physically carrying and then reading the letter to these, to these local churches. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned the, uh, the the kind of grave words of Jesus that mm-hmm. to the Ephesian church that we studied this particular week, that if their condition continued, that he would remove their lampstand, in essence, saying, mm-hmm. I will end this the presence of this church. And, and in the message, you gave a, a very uh, stark statement that it can be Christians who are the reason why a mm-hmm. city may not have a church. Um, yes. Based on the way that they are. Because we think it's going to be, we, we think it would be, well, it'd be persecution, right? Persecution is the reason that a city wouldn't have a church. Well, persecution is, we're going to talk about that um, coming up in, in this in this series, but really, no, lovelessness by Jesus followers is a greater threat to the longevity of a church than hatred from non-Jesus followers. So so go there a little bit more. How can being a loveless church be so detrimental, so damaging or dangerous that Jesus would say that's enough? Well, what are we what are we seeing right now in our own culture? Mm. Um, last night in in my group and and remember I'm I'm leading Heather and I are privileged to lead a a, a young adult group. The question came up, how do you know when to stick with a church? How long to trust a church? Um, when do you leave and all that kind of stuff. And and my, my first response to them was, this is a profound question. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate you asking it because so many people in your age demographic and people under 35 are wrestling with this. Do I give up on the church Mm -hmm. and what we're hearing? And, and I, there are people who want to say, well, everyone who's leaving the church and they're deconstructing their faith, they're just, they're rebelling against God. They got sin. They, that they want to that they want to engage in. And that's probably true for some people, but this is what we're hearing from a lot of folks. I'm not ready to give up on God. I'm not even ready to give up on the Bible, but church has been so hurtful to Mm -hmm. me. I don't know that I can ever go again. Mm -hmm. 
Well, why are they saying that? Because what they're telling us is that what they've experienced is lovelessness from from churches. Yeah. Control, yeah. abuse, toxicity, deep relational dysfunction. And they're saying, even though the church might be Jesus's plan A, and there is no plan B, I don't think I want to be a part of it anymore because I can't handle, I'm tired of lovelessness. Mm-hmm. So which is worse? To not have to not have a church present or to have a church present that is only contributing lovelessness and people are experiencing Jesus as a harsh tyrant because of the way that they're experiencing the people in this particular church. It's a it's a heavy question. Yeah. I don't think we race through it quickly. I don't think we I don't think we give a flippant answer, but um, whatever it might look like for Jesus to remove that church, whatever he might do next, which we don't know, um, he's not going to tolerate churches who are loveless. And there are there are scandals in the American church today. Um, there are there are all kinds of stories of things that we would find regrettable. But the thing that's most regrettable is when a collection of people who are supposed to be known by their love, and Jesus hung his credibility on our ability to be united and love one another, if we do not truly love each other, we are a greater threat to the gospel than any any faction, any group that might persecute us or come against us. Mm. That's profound. Yeah, that's, that's a moment for pause. Mm. Talk a little bit more about love and mm-hmm. what love is supposed to be in the church. Um, I know scholars are are somewhat divided on mm-hmm. the first love of the Ephesian church. Is sure. that love for Jesus? Is that love for people? I think um, it's both, but I think it's what they lost first was their love for Jesus. And when their love for Jesus went cold, they lost their ability to love others the way that they had been loved by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the that's the that's 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 the heart of the matter. It, you lost your first love. You lost your love for Jesus. You got so fixated on the things that you were doing, you forgot who you were doing it for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I remember here. I grew up in the, um, I grew up in the South, and these are the kind of anecdotes you might hear in a Southern church, um, in the culture that I grew up in. And you have to remember old trucks with bench seats. Okay. Have you ever driven in? A, I, I have, yeah. All right. And so I remember a pastor saying one time, there's an old couple got in the, got in the truck and, um, and uh, the, the woman said to her husband, you know, we don't sit close to each other anymore. And the old man said, well, I haven't moved. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, and, and so Jesus is saying, you, I haven't moved. You moved. Mm. You get so fixated on... Not bad things, but you get so fixated on good things that you let that replace your love and your affection and your devotion to me. Mm. And that's a, man, that's a tremendous, tremendous word of warning. And it probably, it it very likely resulted in harsh treatment of each other and harsh treatment of others who they thought were wrong or different or who people who just took more effort to love. Mm -hmm. And it started with a loss of love for Jesus had to result in a loss of love for other people. I think that's what's going on. 
You used a really powerful quote mm-hmm. from Pastor Crawford Loritz yeah. in that that illustrated that point really well. Uh, this quote says, some of us love what we do for Jesus more than we love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Christian performance, apart from the centrality of Jesus, will always mean legalism. We are so arrogant sometimes and proud about how right we are. We mm-hmm. worship our theology rather than the giver of our theology. Yeah, yeah. I heard another pastor say one time, it's easier to demonstrate for Jesus than to demonstrate Jesus. Mm. And uh, so I'm chewing on that one. Yeah. Like, Jesus, I, I, what, do you, what do I need to hear from you? Yeah. Am I guilty of that? If I am, I want to know. And even if, it's, even if it's hard for me to hear, I want to hear it because I, I want to love you and I want everything to flow out of a love uh, for you. And I want other people to not just know that I love you. I want them to know that. I want them to know that you love them, and I want them to know that I, I love them. And and I don't I, – so, I want to keep running on those rails. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so go there. So speak to the person mm-hmm. who – this is just kind of smacking them on yeah. the forehead right now. And they're like, you know, I think that's – descriptive of me sure. i think i think i'm i'm dedicated mm-hmm. to my faith i'm dedicated to the authority of scripture i'm dedicated to following jesus but i'm not sure that i'm loving jesus mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. how does someone regain that first love how do you, how do you refocus reorient your life on love for jesus you know i think it starts with writing a bigger check to your church <laughs> <laughs> wow i should have known it when i saw the twinkle in your eye oh, you know what it always it always starts with remembering him. So just remember that he loves you. Remember how he demonstrated his love for you. Remember remember what he did uh, in his life and on the cross and the resurrection. Meditate on that. Mm. It's just it's look to Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. See Jesus, and and humble yourself in prayer. Start there. It's not go do something. It's not, it's not, it's not give money. It's not join a serve team. It's not get in a small group. It's not listen to more sermons. It's not even memorize more Bible verses. Um, It is remember the gospel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and let your heart be melted by the gospel. Now you only know the gospel through God's word. Like there's no way to find it out aside from God's word. We find it in his word, but look to the word and see Jesus and remember the gospel and let your heart be melted by that. Mm. That's where you start. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. And now after our heart is melted by the gospel and we're and and let's love other people. And what we're, when we talk about loving other people, it is we are committed to what is in each other's best interest. That's mm-hmm. what love is. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be emotions and feelings attached to it, but it can't be reduced to that. It is a commitment to the well-being of others. And so if there are ever times we have to say, oh, I disagree. I can't participate. Actually, actually, I'm going to be working against you on this one. I think I think that's so wrong. It's not because we think that we're better. It's not, it's not even because we're afraid of people and the consequences that might come with what they're doing, although it's wise to recognize consequences that come with error and bad behavior. Um, and it's certainly not a lack of lovelessness. It's I want what's best for you, and I want what's best for, for others, and I want to I serve Jesus in his glory and his fame. And so that's why, that's why I say what I say, and that's why I'm committed to what, I, what I'm committed to for no other reason than that. And the challenge is, 
is that if you were discerning and you were judgmental, it can look the same. Mm-hmm. What's happening underneath, what's happening inside is very, very different. The motivation for mm-hmm. love drives everything yeah. in a very different direction. Yeah. Even though it may look the same on the surface. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And let me go back and, and just add a couple of things to the to the answer that that I gave because I think it was I think it was incomplete. You got to remember the gospel. Let your heart be be melted by that. And I would say just don't be alone. Um, say to say to another believer, would you pray for me? Would you? Can I? I just need to share with you where I'm at, and remember that it's it's communal and individual. Mm-hmm. So don't just be individual; be communal as well, as well. Let other people have your back. Let other people fulfill their God-given mandate mm. to stoke the love and the fire for Christ in you too. So don't be alone. Be mm-hmm. communal and individual in your pursuit of remembering the gospel. I love that. It can be very powerful to have someone else pray when you're feeling like, I'm not even sure what to pray for myself. Would mm-hmm. you pray for me? But mm-hmm. I'd say to to add to your your beauty of being in community there, mm-hmm. it's also just really encouraging to hear from other people about what God is doing in their life. Yeah. And sometimes just getting out of your own head and and uh, mm-hmm. and experiencing what God is doing in and through someone else can mm-hmm. be a way of, of just seeing things in a different light and yeah. and kind of being reawakened to mm-hmm. the power of God and, and what he's doing in the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Vision cast for us a little bit. Um, if if we are 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 running on both rails of loving God and loving other people, mm-hmm. what would we expect to see around here? Hmm. Ooh, I made you think. <laughs> I think um I think we I think we see people moving closer towards each other. Mm. Um, I think we see people who are generous and how they give each other time, emotional energy, um, resources. Um, I think we see people moving towards each other's messes. I think we see I think we see courage. Mm. And a lot of times we think the brave people who are, are the ones out with a megaphone calling out other people's sin, the real courage. And sometimes that takes courage. Sometimes it takes courage to, especially if you're standing alone, to, to say, oh, this is wrong when nobody else is willing to do so. But there's like a whole nother ratcheted up level of courage to say, can I share with you what I'm struggling with? Can I be, can I drop my guard and be real with you? so that you can speak truth and encouragement and love and accountability in my life. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the kind of courage that I think we need to we don't celebrate enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think we I think we see stuff like that. I think we see joy. Um I the kind of things that we're going to experience is the opposite of what's most normal in American culture right now. And what's that? It's that if you are not perfect, you're going to get sniped. Mm. You're going to get shot down. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be people who come against you. And what I want to have here is, well, yeah, I don't expect you to be perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. But, man, I love you, and that's not going to stop. Mm. I'm going to tell the truth to you, but I'm going to be gracious and gentle with you as I do it. And you're going to tell the truth to me, and you're going to be gracious and gentle. And we're going to, if we recognize something, like I talked a little bit about rumors. we got a problem with rumors in our church right now, but we're going to be the kind of church like, yeah, um, poof, that is a problem. That's not good. Mm-hmm. That's certainly not good. And so when I hear one, I'm just going to say, I can understand why you would be concerned about that. Let's go talk to people who know and who can do something about it. Mm-hmm. And 
that takes courage too but that's what that's what that's what love does i think i don't think what we, i don't think we see perfection what i think we see is christ likeness whenever we discover sin in ourselves and in each other mm-hmm. we just we see grace we see forgiveness we see gentleness we see patience and we see we see devotion so i, I it might be like a, a, a community of people who yeah. are safe to be authentic yeah in their struggles and in what jesus is doing and and in all of it, everyone yeah. pointing each other to Jesus. You know, what would it look like to follow Jesus in this aspect of your life? Is yeah. one of my favorite things that you say. I yeah, I love that question. It's been so good for me. I I'm gonna. This might be a tad tangential, but I'm trying to I'm trying to answer the question. And I know that I the way that I'm wired, I can be sometimes a little um, too vague or ambiguous. So let me see if I can give some handholds okay. to folks. A f- a few weeks ago, I, I I joked in one of the services. I think it was just in one of the services that that I said that uh, I was I'm an instigator. And if you knew my little brother, he would say, "Oh yeah, he's an instigator." <laughs> and I was instigating something in uh, in, a, in some of our friends who were married. And the the spouse said, "You better watch it because I've got dirt on you." Uh-huh. And I was like, "Yeah, you do." <laughs> and there is uh, there's a troubling trend in in the American church today of a lot of pastors who say that they are alone, they're lonely, they don't have friends. I have friends. Mm. Like I have, I have friends who I can be real with. I don't ever have to perform with. They are, they couldn't care less that I'm the pastor of Mm -hmm. Autumn Ridge church. You know, um, I'm just, I'm just another, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a friend. I'm a brother in Christ. I'm just another. And we're, and so they get to see, they have like a backstage pass to my life. Not everybody gets a backstage pass to your life, but these are some of the people who have a, a backstage pass uh, to your life. And that is that is good medicine for me. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And sometimes when I'm just like tired and discouraged or feeling whatever you feel, you know, when you're in the middle of stuff, I just love hanging out with them. And not because we're talking about it and not because they're solving it. It's just their friendship is such good medicine for mm-hmm. my for my soul. And so if we're a church that's loving each other, more and more people are experiencing what I'm describing with others here in our congregation. I love that. Yeah, let's be a church like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I've been excited for this series for a long time, and I don't think it's going to disappoint. It's been fun to talk about this first letter to the church in Ephesus. I know mm-hmm. next week is one of the, the churches that Jesus didn't have anything negative to say about them, although the positive things that he has to say come at a little bit of a, 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 a cost. It, People still, can read ahead and, and maybe holds, get a glimpse. He holds <laughs> nothing against them, but it is a hard message to receive. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that this weekend, and I think there's going to be encouragement in it. I trust so. Thanks for uh, kicking us off this week. Look forward to talking again next week.